Okay, here we go. Detox number five, difficult times. Being a Christian does not make us immune to difficult times. You know that, don't you? And here is the most famous psalm that's ever been written. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there is an acceptance and inevitability that you will face difficult times. Jesus said much the same thing. In this world, you will have trouble. And I doubt there's anybody here who needs some convincing about that. Most of us are all too familiar with dark days and difficult times. So what's the point in being a Christian? What's the point? What difference, if any, does it make in dark times and difficult days? The difference is this. As a Christian, you can be confident that you are able to survive the darkest of times. And as a Christian, you can be confident that not only are you able to survive the darkest of times, but despite the darkness, you will go on to flourish. As a Christian, we will survive and soar. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I'm walking through this dark valley. I'm not sitting there. I'm not making my home there. I'm not stopping there. I'm walking through. And having walked through the valley, having survived those dark days, I will rise and soar again, because even though I've been through a really dark time... My story will not end there. Who says? God says. Because in verse 6 it says, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We can be confident that we will survive and that we will soar. That's the difference being a Christian makes in those dark times. How can we be so confident? Well, if it was down to me, and maybe to you, we would lack that confidence. But the Bible says it's not about you or me, but it's about belonging to Jesus. It's about being in Christ. So if we go back to that verse that says, in this world you will have trouble, look at what else it says. I have told you, said Jesus, these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but let's read it together. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Way, Thank you, Pat. Take heart. I have overcome the world. David, who wrote Psalm 23, knows all about difficult times. And today we find him in one of those difficult places. We have his personal experience for us in the Bible. For David, like ourselves, the path of his life went so quickly from the bright sunshine of a meadow down into a dark, cold, chilly valley where the sun never shone. David had risen to the king's palace. He was handsome and humble. His enemies feared him. Jonathan loved him. Michal married him. But Saul the king, overcome with jealousy, hated him. And out of a clear sky, trouble came. Saul began to seize opportunities to take David's life. After six attempts on David's life, David concludes that Saul doesn't like him anymore very much. 
And so he flees the royal court in a fit of desperation. And in fleeing that court, he's lost everything. He's lost his place in the palace. He's lost his position in the army. He's lost his wife, his priest, his friend. Nothing to do but run. He finds himself going to some priests tucked away outside Jerusalem. He's so desolate, he's so desperate, David, the shepherd boy, starts lying to these priests. Lower and lower he sinks until we eventually find him making a relationship with the enemy and then behaving like a madman towards the Philistines in a bid to escape with his life. Nowhere to go. He heads to the Dead Sea area. If you've ever been to the Dead Sea, you'll know that it's literally dying. Drop by drop, three feet a year, the Dead Sea is dying. A saline cemetery There's no life in its waters. There's no life around its water's edge. The fresh water of Galilee, once clean enough to baptise the Son of God, dies when it gets to the Dead Sea. And that's where David finds himself, abandoned. The Dead Sea around him, a visual image of what had happened in his heart. He's almost on his belly in this desert place. And we read in 1 Samuel chapter 22, and you can go and read all of this stuff at at home. I've just summarized those chapters leading up to 1 Samuel 22. David, around the Dead Sea area, on his belly, escaped to the cave of Adulam. You think men going into their caves is a new thing. We've been doing it for thousands of years, ladies. Get used to it. So there is David in the cave. Desolate, desperate. The path of life that had seemed so hopeful and so fruitful, taken a sudden sharp twist and turn, and he's now down right in the midst of the shadow of the valley of death. And when he wrote Psalm 23 about walking through dark days, difficult times, the shadow of death, we can be sure he knows what he's on about because he's there right now. The Hebrew phrase just has one word to translate shadow of death meaning deep darkness. It's a dreary, dreadful word. The Bible uses it in other places about darkness that is impenetrable, a black hole into which the abode, which becomes the abode of the dead. It's a word of anxiety and dread. It's the place where the pit of your stomach is churning, where everything is out of control, where it's very, very dark. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's a bit lower than a bad hair day. A bit. And just by the way, the valley of the shadow of death is not something that happens at the end of your life. For David, writing this psalm, there's much life to come. He celebrates the goodness, the love and the mercy. It's about a valley in the middle. Bunyan and Pilgrim's progress places the valley in the middle where it rightly belongs. It's in the middle of life when your journey descends perhaps so unexpectedly into a dark place. When the employer says clear out your desk, when the doctor says, you, your baby, your wife, your mother, your child, won't be normal again, when you found the stash under your son's bed, when your teenage daughter tells you they're pregnant, when the doctor says you've got this or you've got that or you've got the other, when your spouse says, hey, I've got no energy left for this relationship, those days when you're plunged, sometimes unexpectedly, into darkness that you had not imagined before. And you've sat in this church, or you've gone out into the country, or you've walked up the coast, and your mouth is dry, and your palms are sweaty, you're scared, you're guilty, hurt, alone, afraid, you can't sleep. That's the dark valley that I'm talking about. 
when all perspective is lost, and when in despair we cry out to ourselves and we cry out to God, hey, this is over, I'm finished. I can't imagine ever getting through this. I cannot imagine rising or soaring again. I'm done, it's over. David describes this time in the cave when he's going through all of this in Psalm 142. He says that this time in the cave, I cry out aloud to the Lord and my, my spirit just grows faint within me. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. He's sinking down into what we might describe as a depression of some kind. And God, who had sometimes seemed so near to David, now seems so far away. There is a certain chill in the air. And we cry out with David, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? feels left and abandoned. Why are you so far from saving me? I cry out by day, but you don't answer. I I can't hear you. So there he is, and we feel his pain, and we know his hurt, don't we? But we know he survived. And not only do we know that he survived, we know that his life went on to soar. That despite the darkness of the valley... And for David, there was more than one dark valley. And so there will often be for us, despite the dark valley, his life would soar so that ultimately he could say, goodness and love will follow me. Goodness and love have become the markers, the defining truth about my life. My life is no longer defined by dark valleys, but by goodness and love and God's presence racing after me every day. How did he do that? What did he do? What do you do when you wake up and find yourself in a Dead Sea cave, in the grottoes of Adullam, at the lowest point of your life? Well, Psalm 23, this greatest of Psalms, gives us three important truths about what David did. Firstly, he did, and so must we, refuse to be discouraged. David says something that might surprise you. And at face value, it surprises me. David said, the first thing that you need to remember about a dark valley is that you still have a choice. And I've learned, says David, to choose faith instead of fear. I will fear no evil. Now, our natural reaction is to choose fear every time, isn't it? Instinctively, we let our emotions rule the agenda. So in difficult times, I am afraid, I'm panicky, I feel hopelessness. All of those things rise up so readily, so ruthlessly, and overwhelm me. It is my natural instinct to fear. And for the most part, we just accept that that's the way that it is. This thing has happened to me, therefore I will be afraid. And therefore I am panicky, I am hopeless, I am despairing. What on earth do you expect me to feel given what's happening to my life right now? Life has taught us that we live under the circumstances. That I am an engineless boat in a storm, drifting at the mercy and the winds of the winds and waves of my life. And people say, you go, how are you? I'm okay under the circumstances. Who wants to live under the circumstances? Do you? Do you want to live under the circumstances? Yet so often it's how we live. 
So often it's the only way we know how to respond. And here David says, no, even though I'm in the place of greatest fear, even though I'm in the darkest valley of my life, the place where evil reigns, I have a choice. And I choose not to live under the reign of fear. I will fear no evil. All of this world's dark powers may be thrown at me. This world may teach me that I am under its spell, subject to its circumstances, tossed around by its trouble, but there is a another way. We have another choice. I will fear no evil. You see, I can't. And I'd know exactly what you mean. You see, I can't. Fear is out of control in me. And my faith, when fear comes, is strangled by this fear that rises so readily, so ruthlessly when things go wrong in my life. So how do we refuse to be discouraged? How do we choose faith over fear? By focusing on God's power rather than on our problem. By focusing on God's power, rather than our problem. You take two people, put them in an identical situation, the same chaos, the same tragedy, the same crisis, one of them will be blown away, the other will come out stronger. You've seen that, we see it all around us. The difference is what you're focusing on. Don't focus on your problem. Keep focused on God's power. Don't look to your circumstances. Don't be ruled by your circumstances, but look to your Christ and be ruled by him. And looking to him, Paul says as we look to him, we find ourselves being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we have great endurance and patience. We discover as we look to him, second part of this verse, that the one who is in us is greater than the one that is in the world. You missed it, Pat. Hallelujah. The one who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So we have a choice. I do not need to be afraid. I am not called to live under the circumstances anymore. That's not the life God's called me to. I will fear no evil. I have a choice. And I can choose as I look to him, as I focus on him, to fear no evil. I refuse to be discouraged. When things go wrong, where do you turn? When things go wrong, when the bottom drops out of our lives, some of us will turn to busyness and to distraction. Others of us will turn to a a comforting old habit. Others of us will turn in on ourselves, we'll shut down and hide. Let David teach us. He's gone wacko for a couple of verses, you can't deny it. And he's there in that cave, but David in that cave gathers himself. The faithful shepherd surfaces again, and he refocuses on God and finds refuge. We must remember God's presence. Even though I walk through the valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. And there in the isolation and desolation of that cave, David, cornered, bruised, struggling, despairing, turns towards the presence of God. He'd been beaten down, 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 and the only way he could look when you're that far down, the only way you can look is up. And who do you see when you look up? God. Wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, if you look up, you will find him. Men, there is nothing that drives women more demented than when we go into our caves. If you haven't sussed that, your marriage will be in crisis. But I tell you this, 
Men, go into your cave as often as you like. If there you find God's presence, they'll thank you for it. Promise. And that's what David did. He hid away, but he opened himself to God. And we can trace something of David's journey because of his journals that we have. Some of them are Psalms. And as he turns back, he cries to God in Psalm 57. God, have mercy on me. I've messed this up. And I found myself in this dark place. Have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. It's like a longing prayer. Oh God, I want my soul to be found again in you. David knew that the only person left for him now was God. How slow we are to learn sometimes in our dark days that he's the only one left for us. And then later, David celebrates, still in the cave, that not only was his longing that God would be his refuge, he's now found God as his refuge. So Psalm 31, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame again. Deliver me in your righteousness. Failing in strength, wounded in spirit, he returns to the presence of God. And this word refuge is all about protection and security and safety and uh, and secrecy, an intimate, close place with God. And where does he find that refuge? Does he find it at the end of his valley when he's got through the darkness? No. The refuge David finds is right in the middle of the valley when you need it most. In the midst of the darkness, you can find God's presence as your refuge. I will fear no evil because he is with me. In difficult times, make God your refuge, not your job, your spouse, those habits that pull you down, your family, your reputation, your success, your home, your busyness, whatever. Make God your refuge. Don't wait till the end of the valley. Find God right in the midst of the dark place. He's there with you. You need never go through a dark place alone. The Bible says over and over again that you need never find yourself in a desperate place by yourself. When God said to Mo- what God said to Moses is true for all of us. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. What God said to Jacob is true. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. He said to Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. As he said to Israel, do not fear for I am with you. Words from Isaiah 41. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I will be with you. And then he says, just as a final throwaway comment to the disciples, at the end of it all, by the way, chaps, I'm with you till the end of the age. Wow. With us. God is not up in heaven, looking down on it all, seeing you go through a dark valley, and saying to the angels, oh, I hope they make it. hope they make it. The Bible says he's right there. He's right there in the darkest place. With us, every step. Every valley, his light in every darkness, his power for every problem, his presence for every pressure, every step. You can choose to live under the reign of fear. You can choose to act as if he isn't there. Or the choice that they are fear no evil, for he is with me. With us, every step, every moment.
For David, this is so real. Do you notice if you've got Psalm 23 open in front of you, do you notice how he moves from the third person in this psalm to the second person? He starts the psalm by talking about God. He leads me by quiet waters. He restores my soul. But here, he changes. It gets so personal, so powerful, so real, so immediate. He moves from talking about God to talking to God. It's almost like his spirit is skipping. I've known it to be true. God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff. They comfort me. The ultimate becomes for David the intimate. And that's what happens in dark valleys. They can become places where God's presence is more real than we've ever, ever, ever known him to be. We enjoy the mountaintops when we come face to face with God. But with God in the valley is often a deeper and richer experience than we will ever find elsewhere. Why? Because there in the darkness, when the things of life that we cling to to make us safe are stripped away, it's there we learn to trust him. When all that is left in the darkness is the sound of his voice, when all that's left in the darkness is the knowledge that he is near, when there's nothing else we can do but to lift our hand into his and to begin to feel the familiar presence of God. Those times when we're weaned off our sensuality, our dependence upon feelings, when we begin to live by faith above, despite the circumstance. Those times when we learn to be independent in this sense, free of places and moods and content with God alone. If you've met God in that dark place, you'll know what I mean, because it's deeper and more profound than perhaps we'll ever experience this side of heaven. Job said it. He said, there was a time when I'd heard about you, O God. And then he goes through this catalogue of tragedies. And at the end of it all, he says, but now my eyes have seen you. I found you in that dark place. My my soul finds rest, says David, in God alone. The discovery that God is all you need is only found when God is all you've got. The discovery that God is all you need is only found when God is all you've got. Because if God is not all you've got, you, by your human nature, will hold on to something else. Foolish, yes. But that's what we do. But when we realise that God is all we've got, our spiritual life just lifts to a new dimension. Faith, not fear. Above, not under the circumstance. And so Peter writes about a faith that's liberated from the circumstance. He writes to the church at the end of the Bible. All hell is breaking loose against the church. And he says these words. He says, these have come so that your faith, this is happening. We're going through these difficult times. And what's going on? Our faith is being refined. Our faith is maturing that we may be proved genuine and that our faith may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Often God, when God is the only person we need, he's the first person we leave. Have you noticed that? When he's the only person we need, he's so often the first person we leave when the going gets tough. When we should run to him so easily, we run away from him. We stop reading our Bibles. We stop praying, other than those frantic, demanding prayers that are full of our problems and not full of his presence, and we wonder why heaven doesn't move. 
And sometimes the very days we need to be in church, we choose not to come. A few days ago, we went strawberry picking. The air was warm, the sun was bright. It was one of those lovely, warm summer afternoons, uh, fantastic summer's day. And we went off across the field, and all the children spread out and, and, and ran, uh, trying to reach the farthest parts of the field on the understanding that the, uh, the less determined won't have got that far, so the strawberries will be bigger. And even Evans waddling away in the distance with the telltale red trickling down his chin and onto his uh, T-shirt. It's one of those carefree moments. But what if I'd taken my children back there, that same field, that same day after dark? Would my kids have run off in the distance? Would they have thrown the rugby ball around like we had in the afternoon? No. No. In the darkness, they would have stuck close. They would have clung to me. They would have held my hand. Why? Because in that field full of darkness, only my presence would have been enough to say, kids, it's still okay. When the darkness closes in, I tell you, only his presence is good enough to say, it's still okay. It's still okay. And let's learn from David, he fled from Saul, but in that cave he ran back to God. We must remember his presence. The only thing that lets us know for sure it's okay. About, above me evermore, God's gentle presence broods. He shares with me my silences, he fills my solitudes. His face and form I cannot see, no spoken word can hear, but with some better sense of soul do I perceive him near. Are not these joys too good to last? May he not soon depart? No, I am with you all the days, he answers to my heart. Refuse, remember, rely on God's provision. Your rod and your staff They comfort me. Just a little reminder that God sorts it out anyway. Rod was a two-foot kind of pole, two-foot rod, with a big knot on the end. The shepherd would use it to throw at a wild animal that was coming to attack one of the sheep. God is saying, when you go through the valley, not only am I there, but in the valley I am defending you. My rod is there for you in the dark place. Not just with us, the good shepherd fights for us. Your defender, your protector, your rod comforts me because I know you are fighting for me. Your staff comforts me. A staff was a long stick with a crook on the end. Shepherd would use it to lift, to to guide the sheep, to pull the sheep back when the, the sheep had gone off the path, to draw the sheep close to himself when danger was lurking. He's with you. He's fighting for you. He's guiding and protecting you. In other words, however dark your valley, if you look to him, if you trust him, he's sorting it for you. His way, his time for sure. But he'll sort it, rod and staff for you, fighting the darkness that you know you cannot fight yourself. And if only we would give up sometimes fighting the darkness and let the good shepherd fight on our behalf. Why can we be so confident? Because God wants the legacy of your life not to be dark valleys. God wants the legacy of your life to be marked by goodness and love that will follow you all your days and the presence of God that will never leave you. And finally, remember, hey, it's only a shadow. It's not the real thing that comes to you anyway. Only a shadow. It's only the shadow of death. 
and remember too that where there are shadows, there's always light. Whatever the shadow that's crossing your life, the light of Christ is shining even there. The difference being a Christian makes is that whilst we all go through the same valleys, for the Christian the difference is not the absence of the shadow, but the presence of the shepherd. We'll survive. We'll soar. Goodness and love will follow me, you, all the days of our lives and we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How cool is that? How cool is that? Let's pray together. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But in this world where darkness reigns, you could have just left us. You could sit up in heaven and kind of share anxious thoughts with the angels about whether we're going to make it. But you come down from heaven and you find us, even in the darkest place. However low we've got, if we look up, you are there. However dark the valley, your light is still shining. And not only are you with us, but you're fighting for us. Greater the one in us than the one in the world. So lift our faith above our fear. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we know that it wasn't just the shadow of death that passed over Jesus. Death passed over him on the cross. But only its shadow might ever pass over us. He was utterly forsaken by God that we might never be. He chose the cross, lost in wonder. Let's sing together.